it's fun to be part of a company that's been in the Ukraine for over a decade because of course that's been the front lines of a lot of the Russian cyber activity for a long time. And so we were really well placed to help out a lot of organizations in Ukraine. We've been doing that, continue to do that. As you imagine, that is not appreciated by Russia as an organization. We've done lots of exercises, like we had the solar winds breach that really forced us to, to change a lot. We had leaked the analysts several years ago, which forced us to change. And um, we remain a target, but you know we just have to keep ahead a of the, the adversaries. Welcome back to the Defenders Advantage podcast, Frontline Stories. I'm Carrie Maitry, Senior Director of Services and Solutions here at Mandiant. Today we're going to hear from those responsible for defending Mandiant. So joining me today are Tim Crothers, SVP and Chief Security Officer for Mandiant, and Matt Shelton, Director of Threat Intelligence and Information Security. Welcome. Thank you for joining me today. Tim, let's start with you. Can you give us a little bit of information about your background and how you got to have this amazing job protecting Mandiant. Sure, thanks, Gary. I uh, well, I was really crazy fortunate. I started doing IT, what we now refer to as infrastructure, back in the '80s, and then in uh, 1994, this crazy thing called the internet came along, and I jumped into information security. And then in the last more years than I would care to admit, I've gotten the opportunity to work with crazy talented folks and learn from them and work at a whole bunch of crazy places and have a lot of fun. Awesome. Matt? Absolutely. Well, um, about 20 some odd years ago, I got my first job in security. It was working in a security operations center. It was a great experience. And, you know, I've done a number of different roles. Most of them have focused on threat intelligence. Uh, about about uh, eight years ago, I joined a tiny little company called iSight Partners. And iSight Partners was later acquired by FireEye. And then FireEye changed its name to Mandiant. So I've been here in my current role for about eight, eight and a half years. And I, I, I absolutely love it here. And I encourage everyone to uh, check out our open positions on Mandiant.com. It's an exciting company and I love it. And I get to work with great people like Tim and like you, Carrie. Awesome. A little plug for, for our hiring. I love it. I love working with your group and seeing how much interesting intelligence comes out of that side of the business. So let's start out with just, uh, Tim, we'll, we'll go back to you. What are some special challenges that come along with protecting one of the highest visibility cybersecurity companies in the world? So, oh, lots of challenges. I'll be sure and leave some for Matt to cover as well. Some of the more interesting ones from my perspective are just simply the the success that we have had uh, and the recognition of our brand and in helping uh, kind of a who's who of organizations with their breaches incurs some wrath on the other side. For, for some reason, if uh, we help a company, say, avoid paying their ransomware, often the cyber criminals on the other end of that take umbrage with us and they often take it personal. And so 
that adds uh, a lot of interesting kind of aspects where we've got potential retaliation to to deal with that isn't hasn't been I would say the norm in my career. Of course, another big aspect of it is we get to defend against what I like to call the best of the worst. We definitely are helping a lot of government agencies around the world with their work on uh, fighting cybercrime. And uh, inevitably, again, that that brings some uh, negative attraction our way. Maybe another one that I think is is really fun, it causes some challenges, but it also has a lot of upsides. And that's that because we're a cybersecurity company, everybody within our organization has at least a moderate level of expertise in cybersecurity. And so, as you might imagine, that means we get lots of folks that perhaps think they have better approaches and better ideas than our internal security team. And of course, partnering and working with all those groups. So we look at the end of the day, none of us have a monopoly on good ideas, right? So we're always looking for those, but it certainly can add an extra layer of fun to the mix, shall we say, in, in defending Mandiant as an organization. That's awesome. So, so basically you're saying not only do you have to defend from normal attackers, but you have to defend against attackers that are mad at you for defending someone else. So that's definitely Correct. exciting. And then on top of that, you have, I don't know, 1,000, 2,000 employees who think they can do their job better than you. That's... Occasionally. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so Matt, Matt, what about you? What sort of challenges do you see unique to this business? Yeah, I, I definitely want to echo everything that Tim said. And, you know, I, I think that the most interesting and unique challenge that we have as defenders at Mandiant is the fact that we do cybersecurity for a living. And so when, when our security operations center sees cobalt strike beacon activity on the uh, Alexandria guest wireless network, that very well might be our red team testing out some new payload or some new uh, capability that they're, they're working on. So we see a lot of activity that in most environments will look malicious, but in our environment, we have to take an extra step and confirm that it's just normal activity. Another good example is our Flare team. We have some of the greatest malware reverse engineers in the industry. And so we see a lot of alerts about, you know, uh, malware being transferred across the network or an accidental detonation here or there. And uh, we always have to take that a step further and work with our partners and confirm it. But we also have uh, one of the other great unique challenges we have, just like Tim mentioned, is we are out there protecting our customers. And as we protect those customers, we have to make sure that we are not vulnerable to the same uh, attacks that, that they might be. And so I like to tell people that one of our business models is, uh, is poking bad guys in the eye. And so as we publish blogs about some of the great groups that we track, like APT41 or FIN11 or FIN12, we need to make sure that when we do publish this research, that they don't take offense to it and, and try to, to, to counter that. Also, another interesting thing is we do publish a lot of blogs and we track those same actors. And it's always interesting to see those same actors that we write about 
visit our blogs and read our blogs to, to try to find out what we're saying about them. And that's always an interesting and unique part of, of working at, at Mandiant. Definitely. They're getting tipped off or they think they're getting tipped off to go find more information. But and then another thing that Mandiant has gone through a lot lately is, you know, change. Every organization's gone through change, a divestiture this year, um, upcoming changes. You know, how does change affect, this is going to affect every organization, but how have you guys seen change affect your jobs? Uh, I think the most interesting thing for us in the last year in particular with with all of the change we're seeing is simultaneously out in the space, the the cyber criminals just seem to be moving at a faster clip that they moved. The, the number, just the sheer number of incidents is, is up pretty dramatically this year. So, of course, while that's going on, we're, of course, splitting with FireEye slash Trellix, we're potentially being acquired by Google, and we actually are defending as as Trellix is getting all of their back office set up and and running. We're still helping defend them in this transition phase. So our folks are kind of working double, triple duty uh, in many respects as we juggle and and balance all of that. But I think you know, from my perspective that change is always good. We, we're, it's also brings us a great opportunity that we've been capitalizing on to switch out some of our technology, switch out some of our approaches, really rethink how we, you know, how we best defend Mandiant. And uh, so that's leading to some continued innovation on the teams that I think is going to yield some great results over time. Yeah, I always like to see the the organizations that embrace that change is the opportunity to, hey, go through your tech stack, go through your controls. Don't just look at your firewall with 20,000 rules that you've been using for 10 years and plop it over. But, you know, simple things like that. Uh, Matt, did you notice anything with the changes coming up or the previous changes of the year? Well, you know, I think every information security practitioner can look back at their career and it's completely defined by change. And when, when, when I joined that security operations center 20 years ago, the things that we were looking for have absolutely no relevance today because attackers have iterated their attacks over and over and over again. And so I think change is, is pretty typical for people like, like Tim and I. I also think that we've, we've just seen so much change here at Mandiant over the last several years, whether it's the divestment of FireEye, the, uh, the, our name changed from to Mandiant. You know, we've done lots of exercises, like we had the solar winds breach that really forced us to, to change a lot. We had Leak the Analyst several years ago, which forced us to change. And we remain a target, but, you know, we just have to keep ahead of the, the adversaries. I'm definitely coming back to that solar winds topic. So let's let's put that one on the back burner right now. But you know, I've worked for security companies pretty much for most of my career. So I have one view of things, but you have different backgrounds, right? You guys have worked outside of defending a cybersecurity company. What are the differences there? That's a great question. You know, I think there's a lot of similarities, but but to your point, there are definitely differences. I from my perspective, one of the biggest difference 
is that expertise that we've got that we can call upon. So in most organizations, the security team is fairly fixed. You know, certainly, of course, uh, any good security team is going to have lots of partnerships. But the difference in our case is we leverage our consulting teams and all of the different practices ourselves as well. So for instance, once a quarter, uh, our consulting team has a uh, practice that they run looking for prior breaches that may have gone undetected. And they call that a compromise assessment. So that same team runs a compromise assessment every quarter against us looking for things. We just had a really fun red team exercise that concluded about four weeks ago. We called it Codename Full Frontal Assault, if that gives you any any indications of, of what it was about. And we gave them the challenge of, look, try and find a foothold in the environment anywhere using any means up to and including running exploits against us. Because, of course, again, you know, with what we do, we can count on the adversaries doing it. And, and the beauty of having one of the top red teams in the world is that we can lean on them to, uh, to really help us out in finding that stuff and surfacing it before, before adversaries can use it against us. I bet that team had a great time. <laughs> I bet they were saying, this is going to be awesome. We're going to go get those guys. So fun. The over, yeah, the overall, the overall kind of ongoing thing they call protect the parrot. And uh, they, they take their jobs very seriously and really do enjoy, uh, enjoy coming after us in that. I will say that just to add to, to what Tim said, I feel like as um, you know, security practitioners, it's almost like uh, Christmas or, or your birthday whenever uh, they do the readout of the red team exercises. And I know that's one of my favorite things about red teams is hearing the unique ways that they were able to uh, target Mandiant and incomplete their objectives. And we take every single thing that they do and go out and fix it. And that becomes um, a great project as well. We, we, we love doing that. I think, Carrie, if I could just you know, add to, to the original question about how this place is different, we have buy-in from all of our executives at Mandiant. And I know a lot of organizations are, are fortunate enough to have executive buy-in, but at Mandiant, we have buy-in like nothing else. And whenever we ask for anything, we get it. We can have a conversation with the CEO of the company, Kevin Mandia, and he immediately knows what we're talking about, and he immediately helps us with whatever we need. I also like the, how we created a culture here at Mandiant, which I think is, is unique, where it's okay to have a red team you know, come in and complete their objectives. No one feels hurt or offended that, um, or, or their egos bruised that someone was, was able to come in and, and uh, target us or attack us. We have a culture and this, you know, to Tim's credit, this was established by Tim and, and, um, and his peers. We love hearing how to fix things. We solve problems. No one gets hurt about this kind of stuff. We move on, we do a better job and we're better today than we were yesterday. And I think that's one of the things I really appreciate about this place. 
Yeah, I, I can't resist putting a plus one on uh, on Matt's comment. I, if if you've not worked at a company where you didn't have that kind of true top-down support, I've I've been fortunate to have a few others in my career, but I've also been unfortunate enough to to work in organizations where you didn't have that same level of support. And it really makes succeeding in your job and defending the organization nigh on impossible. And it's not even just the executive support. We have just great team member support across the company. And, you know, that's just such a game changer for us being able to move fast. I, I can't imagine if we didn't have that, how it would be possible to succeed in our roles. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that I have witnessed myself is the the collaboration between the different groups, the communication between the different groups. Like you mentioned, you're not going to get offended if somebody breaks into your stuff. It's it's a, you know, that's what we're here to do. That's what we're here to learn from. So that's been really exciting from my standpoint to see within the organization. Now, all right, this is the time in the podcast where we switch to juicy stories. So what I want to hear you know, what, what are some recent threats that you've had to deal with? What's the, the latest? Give us the inside scoop. Well, thanks, Carrie. I think we do have some great stories. And one of the unique challenges, as we've mentioned before, is that we publish a lot of research about threat actors. And many times those threat actors don't like what we publish. And so a, a great example of something that happened recently was we published a blog that linked the Evil Corp group to uh, the Lockbit ransomware. And uh, what we basically said was Evil Corp was trying to evade sanctions by changing up their toolkit and using, uh, using the, the, the Lockbit malware. Well, Lockbit didn't appreciate that. They did not like that we had linked them to Evil Corp. And so what Lockbit actually did was, uh, and Lockbit, just for those who are out there who uh, are not aware of Lockbit, Lockbit is a extortion toolkit. Uh, you can actually drop this tool on there. It does uh, you know, standard ransomware, but they also steal documents and post them on a Lockbit site. Well, Lockbit, all of a sudden, they posted, we have Mandiant data, and we're going to publish this Mandiant data today. And, you know, immediately we, we saw that. Immediately customers started asking us, you know, have, have you been hacked? And do they have any of uh, our data in that hack? And so that's a unique challenge that we have to deal with. So the first thing that we did is we, we had to ask ourselves, were we hacked? And we went through the standard kind of incident response process. We evaluated uh, and reviewed all of our alerts. We, you know, first asked the, the silly question, well, has anyone received a ransom note around here? And it turns out Lockbit, you know, had not hacked us. They ended up releasing some files, just, you know, uh, trying to distance themselves from Evil Corp. But it really impacted uh it, it was it was an impacted uh, event that that something normal people normal organizations don't really have to deal with yeah so in that case they told you the mandiant was hacked 
you had to go and prove that maybe it was not. <laughs> it was, Absolutely. It was not well, how do you uh, prove a negative? That that's uh, I think a defender's. Uh you know, worst scenario is, is trying to go out and say, no, we were not hacked. Absolutely, Carrie. Yeah. Another thing that Manny has been very involved with lately that I've been following is, you know, the involvement in Ukraine, the conflict going on in Ukraine. So has there been any sort of reaction to our involvement in that? There has. Yeah, no, that's a great question, Carrie. You know, it's fun, to, again, to be part of a company that's been in the Ukraine for over a decade, because, of course, that's been the front lines of a lot of the Russian cyber activity for a long time. And so we were really well placed to help out a lot of organizations in Ukraine. We've, we've been doing that, continue to do that. As you imagine, that is not appreciated by uh, Russia as an organization. And, and so... Between that and some step-up cyber criminal activity that we've been seeing at the same time, you know, I, I ended up going to Kevin in uh, early February and I said, look, here's what's going on. We've just got kind of an unprecedented level of malicious activity coming at us. And uh, we discussed it with the executive team. And long story short, we executed a project that we had, had planned for a while called Shields Up. Basically, this is a contingency plan that we had put together for what it's worth before the government released their shields up term. But uh, obviously, my hopefully great minds think alike there or something and and really raised the security level across the organization on pretty much all fronts. You know, more frequent authentication. We increased the use of second factor devices like YubiKeys and a whole bunch of other things, all of the normal operations like the red team stuff that we did, the, the full frontal assault was actually part of the Shields Up exercise and just really went through. And, and there again, I think is a great example of how this organization just comes together as a team to defend because of course, our internal security team isn't terribly large, um, and and a lot of this work required uh, ETS and product engineering and lots of other groups, not to mention just the frustration level for our average employees because of having to authenticate more frequently, right? But everybody dropped everything, pitched in, and and really rallied as an organization to, to help us make sure that even with the increased threat landscape and uh, increased activity coming at us, we could still defend the organization appropriately. Well, when you talk about everybody rallying together, I just I have to go back to SolarWinds because that seems like a, a major rallying point here at Mandiance to tell. You know, we've read about the news, we see the headlines. Can you give us some insider information on what happened? Absolutely. And you know what, Carrie, I think we could, re we, we could record several podcasts about solar winds. There was just so much, so much going on during that time. And, uh, and our team was on the front lines of that investigation. And it was a wild ride that I would love to talk about some more. But one of my favorite stories from solar winds was actually how we detected the initial compromise before we even knew anything about SolarWinds. 
before we knew anything about APT29, the group who, who was ultimately uh, determined to be in our network, we received a single alert. So we have an alert that whenever a, an employee adds a new second factor to their profile, it creates an alert. So here's what happens. We had a account, like a VPN account, and the person, an alert was fired, and it said that person had added a new phone to his multi-factor authentication profile. Well, we normally check all new enrollments. An alert came in, a person in our security operations center looked at that alert and said, huh, that looks weird called up the employee and said, hey, did you just did you just add a new phone to your account? And that employee said, nope, that wasn't me. And that was the single event that launched the entire investigation that ultimately unled to the SolarWinds backdoor, the disclosure of our red team tools, et cetera. It was just that one event. Now, what I find most interesting about that is when we talk about security, most enterprises, they're not going to be able to have the same level of expertise that we had to, to reverse engineer that backdoor, the sunburst backdoor found in SolarWinds. But every organization can create simple alerts looking for good hygiene issues across your organization. That's how we caught SolarWinds. And that's you know um, what I encourage every organization to do have overlapping alerting within your org. And just to add one more uh, little nugget to that, we had a red team exercise like a, a year before that where they were able to add a phone to a, an MFA profile. And out of that, we created that alert. So that kind of comes full circle. We test ourselves, we identify problems, and gaps in our detections. And uh, we then, you know, create, we basically fix those. And, and that's how we make ourselves stronger in the future. That's one of my favorite stories, Carrie, because the beauty of that is one of the most sophisticated, most stealthy breaches, right? The, the Russia attacked hundreds of organizations worldwide with this. And it was detected because of a simple manual process. It just, it goes to show how critically important the skill of our folks is, as well as just that no matter what we do for tooling, the fundamentals are always important and are the fundamentals for a good reason. Well, that, that actually ties into going back to working with an organization of 2000 security experts. We're, we're security experts. We know what to do, of course, but security fundamentals are so important how do you do a security awareness training for security experts? Yeah, that's a great question. I, th I think there's a few things. You know, from my perspective, I, I've been doing this a long, long time. And I very much would argue that every year there are more breaches than the year prior. And that is hard data that shows we as an industry have still not really figured this out. I think we were doing lots of great work across the board. But the fact that the bad guys still continue to win more than the good guys 
I would argue is, is proof that we've got lots of opportunity for innovation improvement still, right? And I mentioned that because security awareness is a great example of that. First and foremost, I think it's important to realize that while we've got tons of security experts in our organization, of course, a lot of those security experts are in very specific areas of the cybersecurity, right? They, they might be one of the best reverse engineers out there or breach investigation or so on and so forth. And, and of course, with a lot of the security awareness, we, we've got to cover the gamut, not just individual. But secondly, I would argue that just throwing, you know, canned learning at folks isn't just hasn't been doing it. So we focus a lot more on things like phishing tests. So Matt and, and Omer's teams partner to, to send out twice a month a new phishing that are very, very nasty. We pull no punches with them. Matt can give some great examples here in a second, I think. But also we have a thing we call the Defender's Digest. And, you know, because, of course, most of us work in this field, we're curious about what's happening. And so we share stories like the Lockbed example we gave earlier, where we just share with our, our broader team, hey, these are the things that we've seen defending Mandiant in the past few weeks and, you know, pull out key learnings that, that we can do or reminders that we can share as part of those. And that really we're seeing is a much more effective way to help folks think about their part of, of our overall security uh, as an organization. Yeah, those to me, those stories are very, very interesting. I always learn something from them. And also I can confirm that those phishing emails are nasty and <laughs> stealthy. Personally have, have uh, run into those. So Matt, did you have some examples you wanted to share? Yeah, absolutely. So we do run those phishing simulations, Carrie, that, that, that are nasty. Thank you for confirming that. But we always try to use real world examples. And this is, you know, using the, the intelligence process. We look for campaigns that are unique and interesting that we want to test our employees uh, against. And so all of our phishing simulations come from a uh, attacker's perspective. It is definitely a live campaign. We also use lures that we think employees should uh, should look out for. You know, one of my my favorite stories is our previous general counsel, Alexa. Uh, she uh, announced that she was leaving the company, and I. I sent her an email and said, Alexa, I want to thank you for your successful tenure as general counsel at FireEye. As a show of appreciation from the security team, we are going to use your name as a uh, lure in our next phishing simulation. And she told me it was the most unique going away present she's ever received. But, you know, it's important. We test our employees with real lures that we think real attackers are going to uh, come after us with. And I, just to also echo what Tim said, our Defenders Digest is, is our forum that we can tell those stories. I love it. We get a lot of good feedback from our employees. They feel like they are part of the, the security team. And, you know, this is like where we, we, 
use uh, examples of, of things that we found. Like, for example, we talk a little bit about the incidents like the, the Leak the Analyst campaign that happened earlier this year. where We had the, a second instance of Leak the Analyst and many of our employees wanted to know about it. So we came up with a three sentence story on what every employee needed to know about it. And we published it in the digest. And uh, through that, we were able to provide a, a, a great security awareness message to, to everyone across the company. Thanks for sharing those stories. Now we're going to, coming to the end of the podcast. You know, I've heard things like relationships are important. There's unique challenges and also un- unique opportunities with Mandiants. But Tim, if I go back to you, what would you like people to take away from this podcast today? You know, I, I think the thread that runs through all of that is the skill of our folks. I've just come to believe for a long time that that's the differentiator, uh, regardless of the organization. You know, it's not that tools don't matter. They absolutely do. But the analogy I like to use there is a scalpel, right? In my hands, it's a cutting instrument. In a surgeon's hands, it uh, produces very different outcomes. And of course, the difference there is the skills, right? And so we are very intentional about continue to invest in and develop the skill of all our folks even though I'm confident we've got some of the already most skilled uh, folks out there. And, and I think that's the key for everybody listening to this podcast is that, you know, if you're not investing in your people, if you're not helping them continue to grow their skills, you're missing the, the best tool, you know, the best thing that you've got available to win the fight against the adversaries. Yeah, thanks, Carrie. Uh, my big takeaway that I'd like everyone to have is just, I think every security practitioner needs to focus on threat intelligence and making an intelligence driven security program in every single area of the CISO uh, organization. You know, here at Mandiant, we have infused threat intelligence into our architecture and engineering teams. We create threat models for everything that we deploy. Our security operations center creates detections that are focused exactly on what the adversary is trying to do across the, um, the threat landscape. Uh, we've built a intelligence enabled risk management program where we're actually looking for risk around the org based on what adversaries are, are doing. And, you know, Mandiant, we have a lot of great free resources that we provide people out there. For example, our blog is fantastic. You can really learn a lot about adversary techniques. And, um, you know, we have podcasts like this one where we, we really bring on some some great guests. And I, I, I just want everyone to really think through how they can take threat intelligence, how they can take that understanding of the adversary and create real world detections, real world capabilities based off of it. Yeah. I mean, what I love about this is you you, you think Mandiant has got the most advanced capabilities and yes, we do. And we also rely on the fundamentals, which I think every security company, every every non-security company, every company in the industry can relate to. There's some simple things you can do. It's not just all 
you know, behind the, the curtain sort of activity. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Tim, for joining us today. Thank you to our listeners out there and uh, stay tuned for next month's episode of the Defenders Advantage Frontline Stories. Thanks, Gary. Yeah, thanks, Gary, for having us.